give him a hand, I can tell you want to. Uh, Scott, you guys are so free to worship, it gives me joy. And it makes me free to worship. Doesn't it do that for you too? Just freedom. Thank you. So I get to share with you about connecting with joy. Hi, brother. I get to share with you about the God who has created joy and has created many things that will cause you joy. And so the worship here today, it caused me joy. Just the freedom to worship God, to escape out of mm, maybe troubles on my mind, things I'm preoccupied with, emotions I don't like but I'm stuck in, and the freedom to have joy that overcomes those things. When my children were born, every single one of them, I had the privilege of holding them. I was afraid to hold them because I was afraid of dropping them. If any of you guys feel that way, they're so small and you go, oh my goodness, look at that miracle. What joy. And then sometimes there's joy for what doesn't happen to you. When I was in forestry, I was uh, called on to a forest fire. It was about 11 o'clock or midnight, somewhere in through there. And I was lead. I was on chainsaw, so I was out front cutting fire trail. And all of a sudden, you heard this tremendous explosion up above on the mountain. And I stopped, and I looked up, and coming through the forest was this ball of flame. What had happened was is that an old tree had caught on fire, and had broken off, and it looked like it was about 30 feet long. It wasn't rolling, it was catapulting end to end, and it was on fire, and flames were, and, and sparks were just blowing out through the forest as it was coming directly at us. And as I realized that, one of my coworkers rammed me in the back, pushed me forward, and knocked, me, knocked us down behind a log. And I turned my head as I looked about 30 feet behind, and that log impaled right behind us, but a full 30 feet, so no concern. It was far enough away, and went right on down the hill. And I stood up, and I thought, wow, I feel so alive, so much adrenaline. I did. I was very alive. I could, I could have been a marshmallow on a stick that night, you know what I mean? But I was alive, and I felt this joy. And I went on working. What causes you joy? Some of you have a lot of it. Some of you have very little of it. Some of you are in the middle. Today we're going to talk about three ways, three areas of life from the book of Ecclesiastes that you can experience joy. And this may come as a shock to some of you because as we've gone through Ecclesiastes, the author is very honest about the hard things of life, things like troubles and trials and pain and hardship and afflictions and those sorts of things. But I have the great joy of talking to you today from one of the joy in life passages in the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 9, verse 7 through 10, if you want to turn there in your Bible. If not, just follow along in your notes. And the whole idea here today is to enjoy life more by making the most of it. And we're going to talk about how to do that. The first area that uh, Solomon talks to us about, how to develop that greater joy level, is in the physical, material basics of life, the basic comforts. He starts with saying, and he's actually commanding, go, eat, and I'm sure about the time service is over, you will. You're going to feel hungry from the sermon. 
because I get to talk about food. How many of you are foodies? Okay, I'm joining you. I'm a foodie too. And the scripture actually calls you to go and eat your food with gladness. I sat with a medical professional this week and I asked them about food and how the body processes it, how it synthesizes it. And they were telling me that when they went to medical school for their training, they took the anatomy phys classes and all those other things in great detail. And they said that as they studied it, they came to understand how the food got broken down. I won't go into the detail because it won't make you hungry. But they went into the explanation to me of how it gets through your body processes and your body breaks it all down chemically. And then your bloodstream carries it precisely to the organ that needs it. And this individual said to me, at that point in my studies, they said... God is a genius, and he is. Now, he could, have, he could have made us and created us to eat food and get the nutritional value. But did you ever think that God went beyond that? He actually gave you taste buds to enjoy flavor, to appreciate it. And have you ever wondered how that process is from when your stomach starts growling in the worship service and you realize you're hungry. Let's go out to eat. And then you go and you eat and that growling and that hunger in the pit of your stomach disappears. Isn't it amazing how God created us as more than just bodies that function? He created us as personal individuals that can appreciate and celebrate and enjoy the eating of food. And then I thought about some of the foods God created, at least some of them to me that are interesting. How many of you like black-eyed peas? As a kid... I couldn't swallow it. I'm sorry. Uh, the first time I looked at a black-eyed pea, I thought I saw an eye looking back at me. <laughs> it was, ah! And it was like, ah! And so I could never do black-eyed peas. But then I'm a strange on the other side. You know what my favorite crop in my garden is? It's the healthiest plant in the garden. It has vitamins and minerals up in the 58 count. Kale. Kale. And last night someone said to me, you eat weeds? <laughs> no, I eat kale. And so I will make some soup for you sometime because I like making Zupa Toscana. And I will make you some and I'll put that kale in there. And your taste buds can enjoy the flavor and the texture of kale. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You're going, no. So this gentleman said, I never ate macaroni and cheese until I got cancer. What? He said, yeah, I went through chemo. And after chemo was over, I started to get my taste back, because those of you who have been through chemo, you realize that you lose taste bud. And he said, after I got my taste buds back, I took a bite for the first time in my life of mac and cheese, and he said, 
what have I been missing out on my whole life? Yes. And so eat your food with gladness. Enjoy it. Some of the comforts of life. The second thing that he says to enjoy is, and to drink your wine with a joyful heart. Now, I hope you don't focus on wine. Because his emphasis here is not on the wine, it's on the joyful heart. Because you see, you don't get the joyful heart from drinking wine. Instead, you come to it with a joyful heart and appreciate the flavor and that it will give your body whatever it gives you. His focus is not on the kind of drink, but in culture back then, wine was very prominent. You know why? Because they did not have water treatment plants. And there were a lot of problems with water. That's why you'll read verses in scripture that actually sound medicinal. Take a little wine for your stomach, it says. Little. (laughs) But enjoy it as you take it. So whether you are a tea person or a coffee person, or a milk, or even better yet, strawberry milk person? Yeah, okay. Whatever you like to drink, can you drink it with a joyful heart? In other words, you're not just, have you ever had lunch at work, and you were working through lunch, and you just scarfed down your sandwich or whatever you were eating, you didn't pay attention, you were just kind of eating and pressing buttons or doing whatever, and drinking your whatever, your soda, your water, your milk, or whatever, and you didn't even enjoy it, you just ate. You achieved the function without enjoying the pleasure. God is challenging you to enjoy the pleasure because he created the human body with the capacity to enjoy flavor and to enjoy feeling full. And none of these passages are talking about the extremes. You know, you can say, I'm going to quit eating. I'm going to go on a starvation diet. I read up this week and it says the average person three to four days in it will be in deep trouble. Some people can make it a week, but you're going to be in serious trouble at some point. You can go longer with some other things, depending on how much exercise or exertion or your health condition. Don't try it, because God designed you to enjoy the food and the drink with a joyful heart. And then he says, for God has already approved what you do. He created you to eat and drink. He's already pre-approved it. You don't have to feel guilty about it. The Bible actually deals with verses that address people who felt like they couldn't eat certain foods and stuff like that because they wouldn't be spiritual any longer. What God is saying here is that your joy in the eating and the drinking is pre-approved by God. You don't even have to ask. You have not only permission, you have the blessing. But do everything in balance, folks, because too much of anything except for Jesus is too much. And so he's pre-approved it. And then he goes on to the hardest part of this whole study for me. I, I thought, well, I'll tell you, I lost my joy a couple days ago. And I wasn't sure whether I was being tested because I was going to do this message on joy. But I think I was probably one of one million people that got on to I-5 North at Albany (laughs) at about 1.30. 
on Friday. And I noticed as I was coming up from Eugene that the traffic was kind of, you know, I was having to back off a lot. I go, I'm not a fast driver, but this is just weird. And by the time we got to the end of the valley, you know, about Albany, it was stopped. And I was just sitting there. And so I looked at my watch, and I thought, uh, 1.30. And I got back here at the church at 5. And as I sat there, stop and go for miles after miles and miles. And then it started going again, and I thought, thank you, Lord. And then it stopped again. And then it started up, and then it stopped again. All these false hopes were dashed. And I finally made it back here with a backache, and I was grumpy, and I was complaining. I didn't even go in the house. I thought, my wife doesn't want to see me like this. I'm going to go in the garden and pull some weeds and dig dirt. And so that's what I did for about 10 minutes. And I took a deep breath, and I went back in the house, and I tried to put on a happy face. You ever have a day like that? Something hits you unexpectedly, and you go through it, and your joy is robbed, And you know what I realized? I was the one who determined it. I wanted to blame the traffic. I wanted to blame the person who cut in front of me. Blame, blame, blame. Adam and Eve did that. Yeah, if you go back to Genesis, you find that they did that in their relationship. And we'll talk about that one in a few minutes. But I finally just stopped and said, okay, Ken, it's really about you taking responsibility And as I sat there, stopped, I was thinking, what does that verse mean, always be clothed in white? And and I thought to myself, am I really going to tell 600 people on Saturday and Sunday this weekend that they should always be clothed in white? And I meditated on this and thought about it and asked God to help me see into this. And when I got back, I opened up a book on ancient culture. And I started to realize that ancient cultures are just like our culture. It doesn't matter whether you are America or third world. Every household who has a mom, she has some fine clothing for her family. Mm -hmm. You bet she does. And it doesn't matter if it's a third world culture that's covered in dirt and dusty. She has some nice, bright, beautiful clothing that she saves for the special occasions. And in the Middle East, it is still common experience, common to save white for that special meal that special invitation, that special outing to dress up for special. And that's when I realized that the point wasn't that you have to wear white. The point was is that you need to always show your inner joy in your outward demeanor. How you dress shows it. Your face shows it. Your smile or lack of smile shows it. It's what's showing up on the outside that reveals what's on the inside. And I'm just glad I didn't look in the mirror when I got out of my car and walked back to the garden because I probably looked grumpy too. But I had great joy when I realized what he was saying. 
You can show what's on your heart by what you wear, how you look. Are you willing to smile brightly? Because if you have no joy in your religion, there's a leak in your Christianity, says Billy Sunday. Think about it. And then in verse 8, he finishes up by saying, and always, notice that, always, once again, he's telling you to do something all the time. Always anoint your head with oil. And so I opened up the same cultural book, and there it was, that at these parties, when you're invited to them, they will have a servant or someone there at the front door when you come. Actually, they send out an invitation. I didn't realize this. They'll send out a formal invitation to the people they want to invite. And then protocol was, and the culture was to not respond. That's different than us. You don't respond to the first invitation. It's considered polite not to. And the inviter sends out a secondary invitation just before the event. So the first invite served the purpose of notifying you when and where, but the second one was to urge you to come and was to say you're special and I really want you there. And they had someone at the front door ready with a basin of water and washcloths because in that culture most people wore sandals of some form. And they would take off your sandals at the door and they would wash your feet. Wow, isn't that wild? You'd have a hard time letting someone do that, wouldn't you? And then after washing your feet, they would welcome you with some scented oil, some olive oil usually, with some kind of fragrant spice in it. And they would put it on your forehead for a couple reasons. One, in Middle East, it's a desert. And if you've flown over it, it's all dirt with a few spots of green. It's oasis in the midst of a massive desert. And during the daytime, the desert winds begin blowing toward Israel. And you'll catch these winds that will dry you out and parch your skin and you'll dry out quite quickly. And so at these special events, they would put this oil on your forehead, scented oil, because in a hot culture, you also sweat. And so everyone gets a special treatment. And notice that this verse tells you that a servant's not going to put oil on your head. You are. You are responsible for your joy level. Allow yourself to celebrate joy in each day. If you're not looking for it, watch out. You might miss it. Look for the sources of joy. The second area to elevate your joy in, Solomon says, is in your marriage companionship. The person that you're sitting by, if you're married, do you have a level of companionship that brings you joy? Anyone can be married, but not every marriage has true companionship. So let's talk about it. Solomon does. He says, enjoy life with your wife. It rings 
And when I read this about the umpteenth time, I realized this is talking to men. This is talking to me. <laughs> enjoy life with your wife. Wow, it was like it, it wasn't like enjoy life with your spouse as though it was going both ways, husband to wife and wife to husband. But for some reason, Solomon starts talking to the husbands directly, and he says, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Now, he's not commanding them to love their wives. That's assumed here. You married her because you loved her. She was special. She grew in your heart. You opened your heart. You gave her a place, and you committed, and then you closed it up so that she's the only one. And he says, on top of that, gentlemen... Enjoy your wife. Enjoy sharing life with your wife. Think of the ways. And so this week, I had some time and had some gatherings and made some phone calls, and I did the survey. And I asked men the question, what do you enjoy most about life with your wife? And I wanted to share the answers with the wives. And you unmarried single ladies might want to listen to this because I think the gateway men gave honor to their ladies. And I want you to know that on more than a couple occasions, guys said this to me, I married up. One guy even said, I married up a couple notches. I said, wow, you are really a blessed guy. (laughs) Yeah. And this is what the guy said to me. Oh, I'm sorry. There was one more verse in there. Let's read it. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And then he says specifically the diversity that God created. Maximum diversity is God creating male and female. They're unique. They're distinct. There's similarities, but they're unique and distinct. And when he created them, he said this. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and make babies. Yes, one of the great joys in life is that miracle of creating a child that comes from you, but yet is the combination of a husband and a wife who are committed and have created an environment of love and support for a lifetime because you will always be mom and dad to that child. How important that structure is to the strength of that child. And so he created this diversity so that they could enjoy fruitfulness, have children, and increase in number. And the theologians call this the cultural mandate. This is how culture is perpetuated. It's the only way it's perpetuated. And then he said, fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue means to manage it. To manage the earth. Not to destroy it, but to manage it. And so to make it better, to do something with it, to be productive with it. And so, the first life with wife enjoyment that I list for you is family and godly children. One husband said, I couldn't do what she does. She is amazing with the kids. 
How many of you men feel that way about your wife? Yes, there you go. They're amazing. They can do things that we can't. I still remember when our second child, our daughter, fell. And I was trying to be a great dad. And she fell and she started crying. And I thought, okay, be a good dad. And so I went over there, and I remember, okay, you got to get down on your knees. You got to get on their level. And I said, honey, are you okay? I'm so sorry. Can I give you a hug? And she got up, and I put my arms out, and she ran around me to mom. (laughs) (sighs) That happened more than once. I didn't. (laughs) I tried. I tried. But moms are unique in some ways, profound ways, that build strength into the child in a way a a father can't. And there's some ways he can that she can't. And together, they offer more together than they could offer separately. Another man said, she's a mystery and it intrigues me. And so he recognized the difference. And yet there's something about the beauty and the intricacy of the facets of a woman that causes a man at times to be mesmerized and to just stop in his tracks. I suppose some of you are married because you got struck with the facets of her beauty, and as you got to know her more and more, you discovered what a diamond in the rough she was and what a privilege it was to be married to a valuable, precious diamond. One husband said, I'm always getting to know her and understand her better. (laughs) Wives, can you say amen? Yes, that's a good thing. Another husband said her faith and her kindness. She's always caring. She's always loving. And how that makes a man feel wanted and nurtured. Men need that as well. Another man said her balancing effect. And I had to probe a little bit here because I wondered, a balancing effect. At first I thought it's a juggling effect. And now I said balancing. She calms me. She causes me to think again to measure my response before I act too quickly. Thank God for wives that help us to slow down our motor And to calm our emotions and to think a second time before we act. Many husbands said something to this effect. Her partnership and teamwork. One husband summarized quite succinctly. My wife is my best friend in the whole world. Yeah. Her perspectives and ideas. What I love about my wife is her thought process and communication. They oftentimes think differently than us. And how we need that. We need her perspective and her input to help balance out what we don't see and what we're not thinking about so that we could have a broader and fuller and deeper and richer perspective so that when we respond, we're responding appropriately as well as wisely. Her complementary skills and abilities 
My wife completes me. Now, he didn't mean it that she was taking the place of God because nobody can take God's place. Only God fully completes us. But do you realize that God does use a woman in an amazing way? Because God said to Adam, it's not good for man to be what? Alone. Man is not an island. He's designed for companionship. And so, he takes us to the strangest place I've ever seen a verse go. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of your meaningless life (laughs) that God has given you under the sun all your meaningless days. (laughs) I'm going, what? What is that? What is that all about? And I pondered that as I was sitting in I-5 traffic for hours. (laughs) It's amazing what God can show you when you just slow down and you have nowhere to go. You're just sitting there. And I thought to myself, why would he seemingly contrast this wonderful wife that God's placed in men's lives with life more broadly that seems meaningless. And it struck me, don't drag your wife down into the hevel of life. Hevel means vapor, smoke, breath. You're trying to grasp a hold of something. You're trying to understand something. You're trying to figure it out. You're trying to make sense of life, but at times it doesn't to you, and you've got to process it like a pastor sitting on a freeway, frustrated because he can't go anywhere, and you just have to stop and calm down and think about what is it that's going on here. And it's so easy for the husband to intentionally or unintentionally point to his wife and say, you're the problem. Your wife is not the problem, gentlemen. Life has hevel. It will seem meaningless. It has problems. It has pains. It has frustration. It has unpredictability at times. And things will hit you. And they will hit you at an angle that has you off guard. And it will put you off balance. And your wife is there to be your companion, your teammate, your helper. Sometimes even your coach. Now think about Adam and Eve. God said be fruitful and multiply. And just a couple chapters later, Eve hauls off and disobeys God. Adam, right behind her, he's standing right there. He sees it all happen. He doesn't even stand up for her, doesn't intervene. He doesn't try to help her. Apparently, he just lets her make her choice. And then guess what? He does the same thing. Fully responsible, volitional choice. They both made it. And then God, being as relational as he is, and reaching out to you, he reaches out to them. And with them, it says that he came into the garden and he was looking for them. Some of you theologians know where where God found Adam and Eve. Where were they? Hiding behind a bush. Do you realize how funny that is? Do you really think you can 
escape God by hiding behind a bush, but they did it. And God draws them out like he draws us out in many ways. And he says to Adam, my paraphrase, what's going on, buddy? And he says, the woman made me do it. Blame. Blame. Don't drag your wife down into the hevel. Don't accuse her of the hevel. Your partners, your companions, your teammates, she's going to go through it with you. She wants to be your best friend. When you're frustrated, she wants to help you to calm down. She wants to help you. She is your friend, not your enemy. So gentlemen, treat her special because she is a gift from God. Though the human struggle for meaning persists, the joy of sharing life with your wife that you love is a great oasis of blessing. So gentlemen, treat her special. Because you see, scripture says, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. She is a gift. And so work at your marriage. Work at your marriage companionship. Because when you sign on the dotted line, it's official. But companionship is something that continues to be cultivated in your marriage. Every day. If you want to see the joy, cultivate the companionship. And you will see a lot more joy. And the scripture says about this, men, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Yes, it's going to be work. Relating to your spouse will perhaps be the most challenging, changing, and transforming experience of a lifetime. And it may just take that long. But that's okay. Because it's one of the most wonderful gifts in life. And the greatest things are worth working hard for. The third thing, third area that you can increase your joy level is your work fulfillment. Solomon says, whatever your hand finds to do. And he doesn't specify which job you're supposed to do. I know some of you young people are saying, why couldn't the verse just told me what career to pursue? It's a challenging time in life, you know, that, that 16 to 26 phase where you're, you're trying to figure out what's your niche in life. What, what can you do? What can you do good at? What can you make money at? But yet, what would you enjoy at the same time? Or maybe you seniors, you've already done that. And now you're done with your work career and you went home with the watch and after the banquet, and now you're trying to figure out what's next. I'm retired, but I'm not tired. I want to do something. And whether you're young and looking forward to the rest, whether you're middle-aged and you're kind of tired of what you're doing and thinking of a change, or whether you're a senior and you're trying to figure out, now what can I do to leave a legacy? I've made my money, I've got my house and my car, but I want to leave a legacy. 
He says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. All of it. Not just part of your abilities, but with all of it. Might here is a combination of strength of aptitude and capability. Your aptitudes are your God-given gifts. You were created by God and you were wired in a unique way. You may have come out of the womb singing and your parents said, oh, that kid's going to be a singer. You may have come out fighting, punching, and they go, oh, well, got a boxer here. One of the nurses said to us, oh, you're going to have a live wire with this one. And I go, how can you tell? Uh, personality. It only took you 30 seconds and you know her personality? Show me, show me. And she was right. That nurse was right. Ladies and gentlemen, you may have approached life halfway. You have capabilities and abilities, but you may have only put half your capacity into it. It's easy to kind of float through life. In America, you can do that. You can, you can find jobs where you just float through. There's so much more waiting for you. If you would just put your all into it, give it your best, and pursue what you've been wired to do. Your aptitude is what God made you to do best. And your capabilities is all of this stuff. Well, not the dead. But it's just informing you that, guys, you only have a short time to make the most of it. Because you see, dead people don't do much. No, they really don't. They get placed in a grave or... You know, they might get incinerated and put in an urn, and it's over. You're not doing anything more here. You have a limited time frame to make the most of it. And so, he said that there's no work, there's no planning, there's no knowledge, there's no schooling, there's no wisdom, because you're a corpse. But you can turn this around. Think about it. While you're alive, you can do these things. And so what is your maximum potential? How can you pursue it? How can you put something between these two columns and actually evaluate how to maximize your potential? Your aptitudes are things that you explore, you discover, you develop, and you use it. And after you've had some time and experience and opportunities and people giving you feedback in, those, in that column, then you can evaluate the kind of career, work pathway, planning, knowledge, training, and wisdom you need to maximize your potential for life. And notice in your notes, I left a gap there. So would you just take a moment and you can either write as a senior a volunteer position or as a middle-aged person, a new job you're considering transferring to, or as a young single person, maybe a relationship that you're hoping will turn into the special one, or the schooling, or the career pathway, write it in that gap. Take it home with you and pursue evaluation of your aptitudes and your capabilities. I want to tell you about Grace. Now, she was a senior citizen, and I loved to visit her. I absolutely loved to visit her. At times I took my children to visit her because I wanted them to be exposed to this lady. She was 82 years old. She was at a, a senior center 
and her legs, her joints had gone out on her. She told me how she used to love to do different kinds of work and jobs and gardens. She was an ambitious lady when she had her legs under her. But then she said arthritis and decay in the joints and all that stuff took me out of that. And I said, wow, that must have been kind of hard for you then. She said, yeah, it was an adjustment. I said, well, what do you do for fulfillment? For, you know, what do you enjoy doing? And she said to me, it took me a while, but I realized that what I loved doing ever since elementary school was writing. She would write notes, she would write letters, and then when she got in high school, she, she actually wrote them, I think, for classes and for um, uh, newspaper and stuff like that. And now here at 82, I said, well, what are you writing now? And she said, oh, I write about 300 letters a month. I said, to whom? She said, well, I got connected with Child Evangelism Fellowship. And you know how they go to the fairs, the county fairs, and they have a booth where they have a little uh, portable that they take along? And they do face painting like we're going to do this next Saturday at the parking lot party. And she said, when these kids come to the fairs and they sit down and we face paint and we paint for them the different colors that represent the gospel of Jesus Christ, some of those kids want to know more about Jesus. And the parents fill out a card And Grace is the person who writes 300 letters a month. I just share with you about that amazing senior because whether you're 16 or 55 or in your 80s or 90s, you can always ask God for something to do for him. Are you willing to step out and pursue it? I was talking with an author by the name of Karen Kingsbury. How many of you recognize that? Yes. And I asked her one day, well, how did you become America's number one Christian author? And she said, just quipped real quickly, someone had to. Well, you know what she did. She started, she started writing for a newspaper sports section. She developed and honed her skills, but she kept dreaming. And now she's America's number one Christian fiction author. And I just want to encourage you to maybe think about what she said. Somebody has to be number one. And maybe you can't be number one in the world. Maybe you can't be number one in America. But maybe you could be the best you were made to be. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for speaking to us about these important, very important things. And I would pray, Lord Jesus, that 
ladies and especially the wives, the great gals of Gateway would feel very honored this day because your word honors them and we want to treat them as very special. And God, we would pray for our ambition levels, our career path, our hobbies, our new volunteer positions, the things that you would guide us into where we could use our aptitudes and our capabilities to our maximum potential at the stage of life we're in. Lord Jesus, use us. And then, Father, help us just to enjoy the basic comforts. And Lord, if there's someone here today that wants to know the joy of a personal relationship with God through Jesus, I pray that they would just call out to you right now and say, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and give me maximum joy. Amen.